Well, good morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here at OOC, and uh, it's just, it's great to be with you today, and I'm glad you're here. And today, uh, we're starting a brand new series in the New Testament book of First Peter. And uh, we're going to work our way through uh, the book of First Peter. It's towards the end of your Bible, the end of the New Testament. And we're going to take our time working through it. It's going to take us up through basically the month of May. And we're going to be here for a while. So let me encourage you, even as we get going, uh, find a copy of God's Word if you don't have one. If, if you need one, you can just grab one of the ones out of the pew and take it with you today. Um, but, but read, let me challenge you, read through the book. It's a short one, only about four pages in your Bible, of 1 Peter once a week, each week over the next few months. Maybe you find a translation that's really easy to read. You know, if, if maybe you, you struggle to stick with something that's maybe a little harder to read, uh, pick up a translation or find it online, like the New Living Translation or the NIRV, the New International Reader's Version. We use that with our kids in the back. And um, just take time and read through First Peter. And I'm telling you, as you do, I think God's going to do uh, some work in your life because his word never returns void. Uh, but hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad if you're joining us online and that you can be with us. I wonder how many of you were here uh, yesterday for the life group leaders training. Some of you who are life group leaders, what a great day. And we're thankful for Pastor Dave and his leadership in, in all of that. You know, Hannah and I love our life group. Uh, we, we work primarily in our group as almost all young married couples. And uh, I'm the oldest in the group by about a decade. So it gives you an idea. It's just a lot of young married couples, and we're really excited about that. And I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, get signed up. You can get signed up today, next couple weeks here as you leave. And uh, if you're at home, you want to get signed up, let us know. We'd love to get you plugged in. Um, you know, one of the things, as we closed our time yesterday, somebody asked, hey, Josh, how do you do, you know, in terms of planning messages and sermon series and all this stuff? And just talked about the fact that normally I do that over the month of July. A lot of times if you're here in July, you'll notice I usually don't preach. And I take that extra time to really pray and think and plan for the coming year. And so in light of, of COVID and everything that had happened over the summer, uh, kind of launched into the fruit of the spirit, knowing that's going to be really evident in our culture these days. And then knowing the election was coming, we talked about uh, Christians in the age of outrage. What's it look like to live in a culture where everybody is fired up about something? And then knowing, not knowing how the election would go, but knowing Jesus would still be king. We talked about Jesus as king at Christmas time through Advent. And then after the new year, I just knew I wanted to do a, a book in the New Testament. We hadn't worked through a book uh, of the New Testament in, in a while, and I love to do that. And uh, I knew that First Peter is a, is a book that we had never really preached through together in the nearly 35-year history of our church. I thought that'd be a good one. That'll take us through the spring, and that, that'll be good, and God will use that. You know, I think the other series were timely. I think this one might be the most timely. I didn't know it then, but God did. And I think he's, he's going to teach us some, some key things that, that we need to know, because First Peter is a book written uh, to people who he calls exiles, Christians. It has as its premise that as a follower of Jesus, if you are one, you're an exile on this earth. In other words, uh, that's a, just a way of saying this isn't home. It's not home. You're passing through. You're an outsider in this culture. And you're a sojourner and a foreigner and an immigrant and an alien in this land. And so how do you live like that? 
That's what Peter writes about. So we're going to pray about that right now, and then we're going to just dive right in to 1 Peter today. You with me? All right, let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I, I just thank you for your, um, your care for us, your love for us, the ways that you tell us how to thrive and flourish in your word. Uh, would you encourage our hearts today? Would you challenge our hearts today? Point out uh, where we may uh, be holding on to idols that, um, well, not necessarily bad things, aren't the best things. Teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, even teach me and use me as I teach your word. Let my words be your own. Holy Spirit, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter. Or if you've got an app, you can, you can check it out there. And if uh, 1 Peter is towards uh, the back of your Bible, again, it's just a handful of pages. And we're going to start right away there in verse 1. So uh, let's just start right from the top. Peter. Okay, let's stop there. You're like, I told you it was going to be a long series, right? And you're like, you didn't, I didn't know it was going to be this long, though, Josh. Well, uh, Peter, as we read that, uh, Peter's the guy writing this. And if we're going to understand what he writes, we ought to know something about him and who he is. And it, it's a really profitable thing for us, I think, to just look at Peter and his life. So let's talk about Peter. You know, uh, I wonder, do you, ever, do you ever read the Bible or maybe stories of the Bible and you read about uh, certain heroes of the faith and characters and you feel like, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of courage. I, I just, I can't relate. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? And maybe they just, to you, seem uh, maybe perfect and uh, maybe more holy than you. Well, then you'll be really encouraged when you read about Peter <laughs> because Peter is a guy that all of us can relate to. He's, he's unpredictable, he's volatile, he's impulsive, he's a little bit over-the-top responsive at times, when maybe he should hold his tongue, he doesn't, and it just comes out. Uh, one guy wrote this about Peter, his decision-making is at times reminiscent of a junior high kid who has not slept in a few days that's filled with espresso. <laughs> if Peter were alive today, it would be guaranteed that cameras would follow him around filming his every word and deed as yet another hit reality television show. He was just a gregarious uh, character, really, in every sense of the word in the Bible. And in his life, it's a bit of a roller coaster, Peter is. You know, on Peter's worst days, think about his worst days, he bossed around Jesus. He denied Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter 16, you can read about Peter where at first it seems really good because Jesus says, who do people say I am? He's like, oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, Simon, now you're Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. On that confession, I'm going to build the church. You're the first guy to get it. Way to go. And then a couple of verses later in chapter 16, uh, Jesus starts talking about the fact that he's going to suffer. And Peter, thinking, ah, I got that one right. Let me chime in here, Jesus. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't know if, uh, let's, let's just ignore this whole cross thing. And then Jesus goes from calling him a rock and commending him to saying, uh, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that's a big turnaround in, in a few verses, isn't it? And, and Peter was impulsive. On his worst days, he bossed Jesus around. He tried to get Jesus to not go to the cross. How would you like to be the guy who, who tried to get Jesus to skip the cross? That's Peter, <laughs> that's Peter. And then he denies Jesus on the night uh, of Jesus, before Jesus' crucifixion. 
He denies him, by the way, to a very threatening, evidently young, probably junior high-aged girl. That's who he's afraid of. Those are Peter's worst days by far, yet on his best days, I mean, Peter, he really is a rock. Uh, on his best days, he writes two books of the Bible, First Peter and, anybody know the other one? Second Peter, right? If there's a first, there's a second, usually. First and second Peter is what he writes. And uh, on his best days, too, he's preaching with boldness uh, to, uh, to a culture, seeing thousands of people come to faith. He's also, at the end of his life, martyred and crucified upside down for his faith. Uh, according to Eusebius, he, he didn't want to be crucified uh, right side up. He said, I'm not worthy of that to spread my arms wide. Instead, uh, he was crucified upside down and died for his faith. That's an incredible transformation in this guy's life, isn't it? He goes from denying Jesus to a young girl to uh, being crucified upside down for his faith publicly. Is that encouraging to you? I hope it is. Because the transformation that the Holy Spirit does in Peter, he continues to do in each of us. And we can relate to Peter, maybe in some of his shortcomings, and hopefully you can relate to Peter in God working in his life and transforming him. That's such a good thing and so encouraging. You know, and, and like us, Peter, he was like us. He was prone to making even though the same mistakes multiple times. You ever find yourself falling back into the same pattern? Peter did. Uh, we'll talk about this a little later, but even after seeing a, a resurrected Jesus, uh, and uh, preaching powerfully about God's grace, he finds himself later kind of resorting back to some cowardly ways and uh, submitting to the fear of man and even some of his actions in Galatians, you could class, you, they'd be classified today as being racist. But even with all the ups and downs and all his failures, Peter, I mean, he's a towering figure in the New Testament. You know, every time the 12 apostles are listed, who's listed first? Peter. Why? Because he's the leader. He's the one Jesus eventually made their primary leader and their spokesman. And, and, and he's, he's a great leader because he is so relatable. He's, he's a guy who really loves Jesus and he's a guy who really sins. And he's a guy who's, who's uh, God's really patient with, just like he's patient with you and I. You know, uh, maybe somebody who's a little more religious and rigid in things might look at Peter's life and go, why would we pick him? Why would Jesus pick him to be the leader? But most of us would say, if you're a Christian, you go, oh man, Peter's mess is encouraging to me because God made sense of that and he can make sense of mine. He's, he's such a relatable person in the Bible and so encouraging. And if there's hope for Peter, man, there's hope for me and hope for you. You know, Peter, again, he's a real person. This isn't a fictitious story. He's a real person who lived a little over 2,000 years ago. And uh, archaeologists are confident, actually, that they found his home in Capernaum. He lived in a small village called Capernaum on the northern edge of the Lake of Galilee. He was a fisherman by trade. 2007, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. I've, I've seen that place where they've excavated his home. And... Uh, by occupation, he was a fisherman on the lake. He, he threw nets for a living over the side of a, a pretty rugged wooden boat. My guess is Peter, if he shook your hand 
and put out his hand, it'd be pretty calloused and he'd probably shake your hand and it would, he'd be one of those guys that when you shake their hand, it hurts. And like, they're not trying to hurt you, but they do. You know, that's, that's Peter. Just a, the strong, rugged guy. He, he grew up only a few miles east of Capernaum in a little village called Bethsaida. Uh, grew up in a family, likely a devout Jewish family. His dad's name was John. We don't really know who his mom is, but he has a brother named Andrew. And uh, I say it's likely devout because Andrew and Peter both actually were followers of John the Baptist before they became followers of Jesus. They were his disciples and Jesus' disciples. And uh, Peter, again, he was normal. He was married. He owned a home. We read about his wife, that he had a wife in the New Testament and that he had a mother-in-law that Jesus came and and healed. Um, Guys, that'd be a good one to have in your back pocket, wouldn't it? Your mother-in-law is sick, and hey, remember that time I brought Jesus around and he, he healed you? <laughs> I mean, Peter's just a relatable guy. He's a normal guy. He was like many of us. He grew up in a small town. He worked a physical job for a living. He grew up with a family, with parents and siblings. He got married. We're not told if he had kids. He bought a home. He likely spent most of his life living and working not very far from the place he grew up. In, in every respect, his life was really pretty normal. And then he met Jesus and everything changed, which also is our story, isn't it? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story. That after you meet Jesus, everything changed. And for Peter, it was even his name changed. I wonder, do you have any nicknames? Do you give any nicknames to people? You know, nicknames have the possibility of either kind of demeaning people or being endearing and building them up. And uh, Jesus changes Peter's name and it really builds him up. There's no less than four names of Peter in the New Testament. Uh, First, he's the Hebrew Simeon, translated into the Greek Simon. The Aramaic Cephas, which is translated into Greek Petros or Peter, which means rock. Uh, His given name was Simeon Barjona or Simon the son of John. And then sometimes people didn't know what to call him. Do I call you Simon or Peter? How about Simon Peter? And he's called Simon Peter often. So it's just a good thing to keep in mind as you're reading the Gospels. That's That's Peter. He was primarily known by, G- by Simon during Jesus' ministry, but later as Peter. And he's first introduced to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. And after meeting Jesus, Jesus would end up calling Peter to give up his life fishing for fish and to start fishing for men. In fact, he even goes so far as to call Peter to be one of the 12 uh, disciples and, and to bring him in. See, if you were to get an education in that day, it wasn't a formal education, you know, to go to school and sit at a desk like we, like we might do today or, or online in this day and age. Um, but it was uh, a teacher picked you and you spent life with them, being discipled and mentored. And that was formal education. And Peter was picked to be one of the 12 of the 12 that Jesus would teach and live with. And even then, Peter is picked to be part of the the three of the inner circle of Jesus, to be one of his closest friends, along with James and John. And, and, you know, in the Gospels, uh, Peter's part of that inner circle with James and John. And uh, other than Jesus in the Gospels, nobody is mentioned more than Peter. Other than Jesus in the Gospels, nobody speaks more than Peter. He's a towering figure in the New Testament. And I love how relatable he is. He had privileged access to Jesus. He was an eyewitness to some of the biggest events in the history of the world. Think about it. 
He saw the transfiguration of Jesus. He saw him in his glory. And, and Peter is there, right? He sees Jesus and uh, he, he sees uh, Moses and he sees Elijah. And uh, James and John evidently were just kind of like, whoa. But Peter decided he wanted to say something. Guys, this is amazing. Can we build just some tents? <laughs> and he speaks up and then a cloud envelops him and you hear God the Father say, this is my son. Speaking of Jesus, listen to him. Listen to him. And, and how about when Jesus, uh, in some of the first times when he met Peter, we read about uh, Jesus getting into Simon's boat. And he gets in and, and he tells him to, to cast off and he says, hey, throw your net in again over here. And Peter's, Peter's gotta be thinking, I mean, a professional fisherman, right? Owns his own little fishing business. What do you mean, throw my net over there? I think I know what I'm doing. We haven't caught anything. We're not gonna catch anything, but just to, to prove, all right, I'll throw it in. He throws the net in and what happens? Like the catch of his lifetime. And in fact, uh, at that point, he realizes this guy, Jesus, is more than just a teacher. There, there's something about him. He comes to call him God and know that he is. And, and many, many scholars believe that that catch that Peter made is what financed uh, the next three years or four years for his family while he I mean, think about that conversation, right? He goes home to his wife. Hey, honey, I know our family business. I think I'm just gonna leave this to go follow Jesus and take this job that pays nothing. What do you think? Well, Jesus provided for him, likely, through that catch. The amount would have paid what they needed for a few years. Uh, Peter spent more time in personal relationship with Jesus than nearly any other human being in history. And Peter says it's that close relationship that gives him authority to teach and even, we'll see, to write this letter. Now, one of the things about Peter, though, we mentioned he's the, he, he becomes the, the leader of the church. I don't know, have you noticed there's a little transition of leadership happening in our country today? You haven't noticed that at all? <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a big issue, right? Well, imagine when you go from uh, Jesus, the creator of the universe, the head of the church, for all eternity, he, he's ascending to go back to heaven and there's gonna be a, a transition of, of earthly leadership. Imagine the void that would create. Well, well Jesus actually uh, gives the mantle to Peter. That's who he gives it to. Uh, after his resurrection, Jesus met up with Peter in person. And remember, Peter, right before Jesus' crucifixion, had denied him three times and had been a coward. And now there's this uh, reconciliation between the two of them where, uh, where, where we read about, um, about Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Do you love me? And then in a sense, he kind of hands over the keys to him in the end of the Gospel of John. Well, no one questioned Peter's leadership as he moved into that role. And it's pretty profound and amazing that there was no real jockeying for position or for authority among the 12, but just that Peter moved into that role because Jesus had appointed him, which tells me he's a dynamic leader and was a good man that, that people had seen Jesus radically change and that people were willing to follow. Not because Peter was so great, but because Jesus is so great. 
Peter was a Jewish and yet God would use him as a, a major player in bringing the gospel to Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, you can read about Peter and his vision where God spoke to him and said, listen, the gospel is for everyone. And then Peter preached that and proclaimed that and thankfully he did or the gospel would have been lost. And you and I wouldn't be sitting here. It's because of Peter, he's influenced your life. Well, uh, Peter, I mentioned, you know, uh, one of the things about Peter, though, that again, another thing that's relatable is he, like us, at times found his way back into old patterns. Because even after preaching boldly about God's grace for everyone, you can imagine as he did that, uh, there was a little opposition that came against him, which happens really anytime somebody teaches and preaches the truth. And it happened to Peter. Uh, to the point that there's a, a group of churches in uh, the area of Galatia, the same re region that Peter writes this letter to, where there's a mix of kind of uh, old school religious folk and brand new Christians who are coming from a pagan background. And there tends to be a little jockeying for power to where kind of the old school religious uh, crew uh, says, you know, if, if you're really gonna be a part of us, then uh, here's a couple steps you need to take. Here's a couple rules you need to follow. And uh, what Peter should have done is really stepped up as a leader and said, no. And he needed to stand firm for God's grace, right? Because that's what God had told him in his vision in Acts chapter 10. Yet what happens is, is Peter falls back into his kind of people-pleasing ways and he gives in to that crowd. And we read in Galatians chapter two that Paul had to confront Peter about this and uh, I'm guessing that wasn't a pleasant conversation. He did it publicly in front of everyone. Uh, and the, some of the things Peter uh, ascribed to and uh, didn't speak against, again, I mentioned earlier, but would, would likely be called racist today. Thankfully, though, Peter, even though in the moment he wasn't willing to stand firm on the grace of God and teach that boldly, by the time we get to this letter in 1 Peter, look at how he ends this letter. He says, uh, at the end of the letter, he says, I've, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. And if there's any guy who can tell us to stand firm in it, it's a guy who's struggled to stand firm in it, right? He knows how hard that is and he can exhort us and he can encourage us and we can have confidence in that to stand firm in God's grace. Man, I love Peter. Well, we've, we've talked a lot about Peter. We could keep talking about him for the rest of the weekend, maybe till May, but don't worry, we're not going to. Uh, let's talk a little more about this letter uh, because this is, this is a letter and this is a common a form of a letter in that day. You know, when, when you and I write a letter, we might write, uh, dear so-and-so, as kind of a salutation, right? And then the body of our letter, and then at the end, uh, maybe a short farewell, sincerely or love or whatever, XXOO, whoever, sign your name, right? That's how you and I might write a letter. Well, in, in this day, in a, a Greco-Roman letter of, of Peter's era, it really started out by the, whoever was writing the letter uh, first gave their name and who they were, and then they addressed their recipients, and then there was a greeting. That was just the common form letter of that day. And that's what we see here. Peter, he's the guy writing the letter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
And who's he writing to? He's writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then afterwards in verse two, uh, we read a, a greeting from him. So this is a letter from Peter. And uh, it's a letter to, uh, well, well, first let's just look at some of these things. Let's unpack this. Peter uh, declares himself an apostle. Apostle, uh, just very literally means sent one, one who's sent with authority, sent with a message. Uh, Well, who's the apostle of? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's Peter. I mean, when they got this, there were probably a lot of guys named Peter. And so when they read, uh, who's the letter from? Oh, Peter. Okay, well, I know like 15 Peters. Which one? Which Pete? And it's like, well, the, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Oh, that Peter. I better pay attention. Right? Because this, this, this letter would have been carried and read among the churches. Would have been good mail to get along the route. And uh, what's curious is that Paul, when you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, they follow the same format, but Paul will say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he'll have a bunch of qualifiers after it. You know, according to the will of God, or not from men, but through God. Uh, Why did Paul do that? Why did Paul add those qualifiers? Because Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Paul became a Christian after Jesus' ascension. Jesus appears to him in a vision and is like, Paul, what are you doing? And so he had some qualifiers when he gives his authority, as he writes. Peter didn't have to do that. Why? Because Peter spent an unprecedented amount of time with Jesus. So uh, who's he writing to then? The next thing we see the recipients. He's writing to those who are, uh, do you see this? Uh, Elect exiles. That's who he's writing to. The elect exiles. What's that mean? Elect, election is a, is a great doctrine of scripture and uh, very simply, all it means is that uh, God chose you. You're chosen. He loves you. He picked you. He chose you. Not because of anything good in you, but all because he's good. And uh, you know, uh, sometimes we argue over, well, what does that mean to be chosen or elected and What's curious is as you read about it in scripture, it's just simply celebrated. Wow, God chose me. What a great truth. And and not only this, but uh, that they're exiles. Do you see that? This is an identity statement. They're chosen and they're exiles. We're gonna come back to that in a moment, but they're exiles of the dispersion. In other words, they've been dispersed all over. The dispersion was, or diaspora was often referred uh, referred to Jewish people who were dispersed all around the world out of uh, Israel. And it's mentioned multiple times in different times and places throughout the Old Testament. And so what Peter's doing is he's taking that language and he's applying it now to Christians who are dispersed all over the known world, away from their home in heaven. And uh, specifically, uh, he mentions these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. You know, when Paul wrote a letter, uh, all those letters are titled after the place or the person he wrote the letter to, right? The book of Romans, it's a letter to the church where? In Rome. Uh, The book of Philippians to the church in Philippi. The book of Timothy, a letter written to Timothy. Well, uh, Peter doesn't necessarily write to specific churches. Uh, he, he writes to a group of churches in an area called Asia Minor. That, that's where these, these are all provinces in that area. Uh, so maybe if he was writing to us, he might say to the churches in Indiana and Michigan and Illinois and Wisconsin and Ohio, the upper Midwest, 
You know, something like that, I don't know. But he writes to these churches as a whole, and in a sense, Peter's writing uh, to very rural areas and to people who are kind of scattered all over, and this letter would have made it around to all those churches in that area. I wonder if he was doing this on live stream, if he wouldn't, you know, say, hey, welcome to all of you who are in Milford, who are in Syracuse and Leesburg and Warsaw and New Paris and uh, Napanee, wherever you're at. And, you know, there's people who watch regularly in Georgia. We're glad that, that you're here, Peter might say, or in Texas. We have people in, te- in, in California, uh, people in India who've watched. I mean, that's what he'd probably say. And we are. We're, we're really glad that you're with us. He's writing to just a whole broad swath of people. And, and this pattern, uh, let me show you, these are real places on the map. You can, can see them. The order that they're listed is likely the order the letter went through the region. So Peter is, is writing from over here in Rome. He's in Rome. And we, we learn that later in the letter. And so this letter would have been taken likely by Silas uh, on boat, and he would have sailed around up through the Aegean Sea into the Black Sea, and he would have got off there in Pontus. And then from there, he would have went to uh, Galatia, which kind of winds up here, and into Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, got back on the boat and sailed back home. So it's, it's the order that he would have went through. So that's the place and the people this letter is written to. It's a, it's a real letter that was read in real churches, just like ours, a couple thousand years ago. But uh, the next question is, when exactly was Peter writing? Well, uh, I wonder, do you know what happened in July of AD 64? That's okay. If you don't, maybe you weren't there. It's all good. Well, in July of AD 64, uh, Rome burned. There was a huge fire in Rome. Remember, that's where Peter's writing from. A, A huge fire in Rome that uh, most believe Nero actually set himself, but that what is clear is that he blamed Christians for it. And Christians became the scapegoat for this fire, but uh, many believe Nero actually set the fire so that he could rebuild it and, and, and get the honor and glory of rebuilding it in the way that he wanted to. Well, uh, he blamed Christians, and as such, Christians then... Uh, were gathered up, they were hung on poles, they were covered with oil, they were set fire, and used as lanterns to light the night sky throughout the city. That's where Peter lived. That's where he's writing this from. And in fact, Peter likely died under the persecution of Nero uh, towards the end of AD 64 or early AD 65, and that's when he would have been hung on a pole upside down and died. That's the guy who's writing this. And guess what he writes about? Suffering. Sounds like an authoritative person to write about that, doesn't it? And he writes about the fact that we're Exiles. In fact, as you uh, read through Peter then, First Peter, uh, you read about different persecutions happening in the church, but they don't seem quite as intense as what happens under Nero. It could be, but it's almost like they're, they're a little bit earlier than that, but there's like this sense that, you know what? Man, that's coming. And I can see it on the horizon. I can feel it. I can, I can smell it coming. 
And so in a certain sense then, when Peter writes this in chapter four, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He may either be referring specifically to what Nero was doing to Christians, or it could just be simply God revealed to him, listen, there is some major things coming and people need to be prepared and ready to suffer. And so that's what he writes. And don't, don't act like, don't be surprised like something strange was happening to you. Because he tells them at the very beginning of the letter, you're in exile, this isn't home, don't be surprised by this. So let's go back to the beginning of the letter here. Peter, he talks about suffering, he references us being exiles multiple times. He talks about suffering over 20 times, about 20 times, excuse me, in this short letter. It's a major theme. And he's writing, there it is, to those who are elect exiles. There's your key word. And that's the title of our series, This Exile Life. This Exile Life. Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in exile. This isn't home. It's not. In fact, a friend pointed out to me after the first service, really, ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, we've been living in exile from the garden, from God's perfect plan because of our sin. And one day he's coming, he's gonna fix it all thanks to Jesus and he's gonna take us to be with him and out of exile to where our true home is. But in the meantime, uh, you and I are in exile. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are. You're, you're in exile. It's clear throughout all scripture. Uh, this dispersion, uh, again, uh, is talking about people who are exiled from their heavenly home, living on the earth in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's a theme all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New, but let me just show you a couple from the New Testament. Uh, notice what, what Paul writes here. Our citizenship, where, where is it? In heaven. Do you see that? It's in heaven. Your primary citizenship, friend, is not the United States of America. It's not Indiana. It's not Kosciuszko, Elkhart, Noble County. It's in heaven. This isn't home. It's not. And guess what? Guess where your savior is coming from? Guess where? You can, you can cheat and read if you want. From, from there, from heaven. From it we await a savior. Not from an election, not from Washington. Our savior's coming from heaven. And, and this theme is all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. The writer of Hebrews, he, he talked about all those in the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And he says, these, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Like, like the, they knew God's promise, they trusted it, but they didn't receive it on this earth. In fact, having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they, look, they were strangers and exiles. All the people of faith in the Old Testament too. And where were the exiles? On the earth. So if you're a follower of the living God, you are in exile on the earth. Now you're here for a purpose. God wants you to love this place, serve this place, honor him in this place, do all you can to bring people into his kingdom from this place. But make no mistake, this isn't home. It's not. 
see, he continues, the writer of Hebrews does, for people who speak thus made it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, if their, their focus was always on this place, they would have wanted to, to stay here and, and, and only live in light of this, but their focus was forward. It was on heaven. It was on their true home. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Man, that's awesome. They longed uh, for a better country. I, I love our country. Do you? There's a, maybe not a more exceptional place, exceptional place on the face of the earth than to live in the United States of America. Yet the reality is this isn't home. We're exiles, we're aliens, we're sojourners, we're strangers, we're immigrants, we're foreigners, we're migrants, fill in the synonym you choose. This isn't home. Love it, serve it, pray for it. Remember, your roots are in heaven. See, uh, that, that's what Peter's saying here. It's the basis of the entire letter. You're in exile. Uh, and not only that, but as somebody who's in exile, an elect one, a chosen one, many translations will actually uh, render this to those who are chosen, living as exiles. Guess what? You're going to suffer if you're a follower of Jesus. And if no one's ever told you that, they've left out an important part of what Jesus teaches. That as a follower of him, Jesus says, you need to take up your cross and follow me. And what's, what's amazing about uh, the book of First Peter is that on the one hand, uh, he tells us to do good and to, to serve the places we're sent while we're in exile, right? Do good, why? So that people would, would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But in the same, uh, same letter, he also says, but be prepared because when you do that, people are, uh, you live for Christ, people are gonna malign you and persecute you and, and, and potentially even kill you. On the one hand, this. On the one hand, this. You have trouble reconciling those? It's easy to preach this side. <laughs> this side's pretty hard and challenging. And you know, the, the philosophy of, of suffering is missing in big ways from the framework of much of the American church. And I'll confess from my own life, it's missing. My eyes were open to it probably most in going to India and meeting some of the men and women there that we serve and have relationship with and, and hearing stories are not unlike the ones I told you about Nero that are happening today all around the world. As Christians in America, friends, we've got to learn. We've got to be ready to know that Jesus promised we'd suffer. We're, we're blessed to live here. Arguably the greatest place on the face of the earth. People long to be here. They put themselves in great danger to get here because of some of the blessings of living here. 
and I'm incredibly thankful for, and I love our country, but as a pastor, I, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm really disturbed at things I see over the last few years and months and this week. Where many Christians seem to have wed their primary citizenship, which is in heaven, with a citizenship of being an American. Hear me, that's a great thing, right? Love America, serve America, all that stuff is good. Be involved. But it's not home. It's not home. I mean, think about it. Peter, who's living under the threat of Nero, who would eventually be killed by him, he actually writes in this letter, maybe while all this is happening, he says in chapter two, submit to every earthly authority as unto the Lord. He even goes so far as to say, honor the emperor, Nero. And yet I see people freaking out about wearing a mask. Peter says, be ready to suffer. Honor the authorities God's put in place. He didn't make a mistake. He has a plan and he's gonna work it. It just seems to be very incongruent to me a lot of times, uh, and, and even I say this to my own shame and my own thinking, incongruent between uh, our culture in America and what the Bible actually teaches about living as an exile in this place. Now to be sure, after uh, maybe making some of you upset with me on one side of the aisle, let me go after the other. There are threats in big ways from the left too because primarily that tends to be an, an idol that uh, politically speaking tends to be on, on the right, right? Of, of, of kind of nationalistic religion which is really what we saw this week as people stormed the Capitol. But to be sure there's also major threats and idols on the left. American secularism is so distressing and what I mean by that is just the secularization of America where as a culture, we've turned away from God's word. We've turned away from the morality of it, from the supremacy of it. And you see increasing threats, threats to and flat out attacks on Christians and Christian morality and Christian sensibility. And it's all over the place and it's increasing. I'm distressed by some of the issues of free speech that we cherish in our country, right? That are eroding. You see it in areas of sexuality and marriage and parenting and gender and abortion, which we've heard about this morning. Just a week ago, I mentioned this in the first service, there, there was a prayer last, last weekend. I saw it when I got home from church, actually, that a, a guy in our capital gets up and he prays and he prays to every God but the living God and then he ends by saying, amen and ah women. Trying to throw gender into the word, the Hebrew word amen. This was a, a legislator in our country. That's just nonsense and lunacy. I mean, amen, amen, the Hebrew word, is as gendered as fruit loops grow on trees. Not real fruit. <laughs> and so there is, there's major threats from the left, but listen, there's, there's, there's major idols on the right too. Some of the things we saw this week and I know, listen, hear me, okay, I know. I know that not every Christian, and in fact, I would say the vast majority 
even who would find themselves on that side of the political spectrum aren't, aren't in that, that far extreme that I'm talking about. But it concerns me that that seems to be the trajectory that, that many are heading. And there's idols on the left and there's idols on the right. And let me just say this as your pastor because I, I care about you. Like if you only see the idols on the other side of the aisle, guess where yours are? Probably behind you. truth needs to be spoken. This place isn't home. It's not home. Serve this place, love this place, find your identity, though in Jesus and in his word. And that's what the entire letter of 1 Peter is about. And so some of the things I say today are said maybe with a little more fervor and more harsh than I normally do. I almost never talk about politics. You guys know that. Quite frankly, I don't care who you vote for but I do care that you find your identity in Jesus Christ. We don't need nationalistic fervor. We don't need social justice fervor. We need spiritual fervor. Those others simply, it's like like treating a bullet wound where there's shrapnel stuck in somebody and we just rub some Neosporin and slap a Band-Aid on it. We need to treat more than just the symptoms. We gotta get after people's hearts. They need Jesus Christ. That's what will change the fabric of our nation, of the world. He's our only hope. And you and I are sent to love. And if we can't recognize our own idols and put them away, we tend to demonize half of our population that we're sent to love. How do you do that? How do you love them? Again, I'm not accusing you, I'm just warning you. Guard your heart. Pray for me that I'd guard mine. Because there's... Like Peter, I think maybe we're not to that point yet, potentially when he wrote this of full on persecution, but you can smell it. And if you don't realize you're in exile, it's gonna take you by surprise and it's gonna be painful. Well, uh, the first service I went long, I'm going a little bit long here, but let me at least give you the rest of the outline for those of you who are maybe a little OCD. I didn't do that to the first service. Aren't you glad you came to this one, if that's you? You are in exile, and we we read in verse two that you're saved by grace. See, uh, it says, according, verse two, uh, to the foreknowledge of God. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, foreknowledge, another thing we could argue about, but that the Bible just seems to celebrate, and and just that means that God sees everything past, present, future according to his knowledge, not your goodness, but his goodness. He's chosen you, that's what the according to means. Your translation might even say chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And you see the Trinity here in the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit is setting you apart, making you different as somebody who is an alien and an exile in this place. He set you apart. And he's changing you. And what for? Well, to to obey Jesus Christ. So we see Father, Son, and Spirit. To obey Jesus. And then there's a strange phrase for sprinkling with his blood. 
What does that mean? Well, that's a reference to the Old Testament where uh, there would be blood, uh, a sacrificial animal, and, and its blood would be at uh, different times sprinkled on people for their cleansing, symbolic of Jesus' blood being spread out upon us for our cleansing. And so the idea is here that, that, that uh, according to God in the past, knowing us and the spirit in the present, uh, sanctifying us and making us new and, and helping us uh, for the future to make us become like Jesus, Jesus uh, in this day, in the present, we're, we're to obey him and, and we have grace to be cleansed every moment as we follow him. Past, present, future salvation by the work of the Trinity. So you're in exile saved by grace to live like Jesus and to become like Jesus. That's really ultimately what God is doing. So uh, with that, we're gonna be in 1 Peter for a while now, heading in uh, over the next few months, and I think it'll be timely for us. And my prayer is that, again, we learn to find our hope in Jesus and, and to have joy even in times that may feel distressing and hard. Guard your heart, guard your heart. Seek Jesus and have hope that um, maybe if you haven't or you find yourself struggling or you even uh, look to your past, we're reading a, a letter from a guy in Peter who uh, is so relatable, who, who, who failed and who fell back even into patterns of sin and idolatry. I mean, think about it. Uh, Peter, even himself, uh, when Jesus was being taken away to be crucified, he himself wanted to start a fight and an insurrection, and he grabs a sword, cuts a guy's ear off. And then later, and later in his life, he actually reverses course to where he's like, you know what? Just suffer willingly. Trust Jesus. It'll be okay. That's my prayer for you. So we're going to wrap. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing about the fact that um, this place isn't home, that, that God does restore and redeem us like he does Peter. And, and you need to know that Barnabas team is going to be available to pray with you. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, to pray for you, maybe to pray with you about our nation, about the future, uh, please come. Be prayed for. We love you. Let me pray.